0: This is Tush and I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one stop shop advocacy connection. Hey, 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 this is Jackie, and I am streaming live on the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma County Facebook page. Today, we will be talking about decriminalizing marijuana because we have a state question coming up. And the guest that we have today is Stephanie Henson, who is the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma vice president. And then we have um, a policy counselor from Oklahomans for criminal justice reform, Michael Olson. And if you would give us an introduction into who you are and what you do.
1: Hey everybody I'm Michael Olson as was just said I'm the Policy Counsel for Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform um, which means that I look at policy and research and things of that nature and try to come up with solutions to problems in Oklahoma. Um, I just want to say I'm excited to be here and uh, thank you for inviting me.
0: So welcome
2: Um, and then Stephanie would you like to add on to anything? Sure. I was just saying, thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to get to meet Michael in person. We have served on um, the coalition, the core coalition that uh, Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform facilitates and the league being able to be a part of that has really helped to inform our advocacy work. And we appreciate you so much for that.
0: Yes. Thank you to everybody, especially Damien. His boss is Damien. If you guys don't know Damien Shave, he's like the Marshawn Lynch of criminal justice before. <laughs> he's like beast mode all the time. Um, but so, yeah, like I was saying, we are voting to legalize recreational marijuana here in Oklahoma next Tuesday, um, which is the 7th. So make sure you guys go vote. I hope everyone is registered. And um, so we've got a lot of talk, um, of, you know, people supporting Um, the state question and then of course we've got other people opposing the state question Um, but from my personal point of view with my league hat off um, I just feel like personally I'm looking at a weed store on every corner because um, medical marijuana is already um, legal so when I'm looking at all of these stores on the corner and uh, so many people um, indulging It's kind of weird to me that I also know so many people, and this is as me being a black woman living in a black community in Oklahoma where we have such high incarceration rates, so many people that if they get their background check pulled, it's still going to show up that they have a felony in their background Um, for marijuana. And then even some accounts, um, people are still actually in prison for it. So I just wanted personally um, to know what are the aspects of decriminalizing it. And so, but we'll have like a whole discussion here about, um, you know, the pros and the cons of it. So um, I have, uh, what I'm going to read here is something I, I, I printed off from Uh, Oklahoma Policy Institute page. So go there and type in um, something along the lines of the fact sheet for state question 820 and you can look at what I'm looking at. But the first bullet point um, under supporters say, says allowing adult use recreational marijuana would help address the significant cause of racial imbalance in our state's criminal justice system in which a disproportionate number of Black Oklahomans have been charged with marijuana-related offenses when compared to white residents. And so if you'll give us just your intake on that, um, you know, from... As being the policy, uh, what, what your background knowledge on that is. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned um, how many dispensaries there are in the existence of medical marijuana. Because even with medical marijuana, is, uh, as recently as 2020, there were 4,500 Oklahomans that were arrested for marijuana offenses every year. And that was even higher, um, say, 10 years ago, almost 10,000 a year were arrested for marijuana offenses. And as you mentioned, they disproportionately impact generally black men, um, even though data indicates that white men and black men use marijuana at similar rates. Mm-hmm. Um, a black man in Oklahoma is four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana wow. and um, five times as likely to be prosecuted for marijuana and um so these discrepancies exist and you can see um of those people that are in currently incarcerated for marijuana the majority of uh are black 25 percent are have criminal records that are marijuana marijuana related are held by black men even though they make up eight percent of the population so There's just a huge disparity in how marijuana was enforced in Oklahoma.
0: Wow. So let's say that the state question passes and someone gets caught with with marijuana. What will the repercussions look like at that point?
1: Um, Well, if it passes, there uh, will be no repercussions as long as you're under the legal possession limit.
0: Okay. Okay. And that you have to be twenty one,
1: and you're over twenty one. Okay.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, um, the next bullet point. Well, before I go to that, was, was there anything
2: that you want to add on to to that from your perspective? The only thing you know that went through my mind when Michael was talking was, in light of our two year study that the league has done now on criminal justice um, policy in our state, I'm reminded of, and I guess it was the Stillwater League that especially pointed out that anytime one person is, finds themselves in the system, and, you know, that that then affects and impacts the whole family. And so just the cascading effects Mm -hmm. of um, that, you know, the children, as a former school teacher, you know, you think about the kids, the ACE scores, the adverse childhood experience scores of what, you know, it's just so the cat. I do think about the cascading effects as, you, as you're talking about that and all that we've learned in the last two years, thanks to the amazing work of our league's uh, criminal justice study team. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. The, the intersectionality of it is very real. Yeah. Um, so the next bullet point is the sales from adult use recreational marijuana will generate hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue to fund substance abuse prevention, education, mental health services, and other vital community programs across Oklahoma. So I think my question there would be, um, what type of prevention education do you feel like would be needed if State Question 820 passes?
1: Um so just looking at the law directly, it does impose a 15% excise tax on recreational marijuana sales. And according to a national cannabis uh, law and policy firm that would raise 821 million dollars in tax revenue in Oklahoma. and that is um, 434 million of brand new uh, revenue straight from recreational marijuana taxes. And then the law also mandates that 20% of that 15% goes to um, grants to fund addiction treatment and overdose prevention services. So these are the ways that we can pivot from enforcing marijuana um, as a public health crisis to instead focusing on much more dangerous substances like opioids Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. And that way we can really, Um, try to attack addiction at its source. And that downstream would really help the criminal justice system because we know something nationwide, 65% of um, state inmates have either an active substance abuse disorder or were on a substance when they committed their crime. So if you can eliminate that addiction problem, that's 65% of state prisoners that would not um, be in prison because, um, their addiction problem will be, um, dealt with before the carceral system
0: intervenes. Right. Right. So, um, when you say, um, that the, the programs will be there, um, it, will it only be limited to, um, if there's a such thing, overdosing on marijuana. And I guess there, there there's a second question inferred there because I've read a lot of things where people are publishing things saying, oh, the kids are overdosing on marijuana. So I'm trying to figure out how, what, how does that, what what is the legal term for overdosing? Like, how are they saying that people are overdosing on marijuana? But then back to my original question would be, um what are those programs going to be entailed of it 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 can't, it's not going to be just marijuana right it'll focus on um treatments for harder substances
1: yeah um i think the obviously there's a bunch of substances that it could apply to but i think the goal of what they're trying to accomplish is really attack the op- opioid crisis and things of that nature and as for overdoses um I mean, I guess it depends how you define an overdose, but a a fatality um, has never happened to my knowledge A marijuana-related overdose fatality has never happened. And I will say that the law um, does mandate that these are sold in child-proof packaging and they're not marketed in a way um, towards children. So the law um, will do as best as it can to... Uh, help protect children, but at the end of the day, um, just like cleaning supplies or alcohol, things of that nature, it's really the parents' job to ensure that they're keeping these substances away from their children, whether it's marijuana or another dangerous substance.
0: Mm-hmm. So would that be covered under the prevention education? Um sorry, what can you, as far as teaching parents how to, because I'll say a lot, I don't know, maybe you've seen them too, but, um, I've seen these, um, things on Facebook and so forth that they're like, parents that use marijuana, their kids are overdosing. Like they're talking about like babies and toddlers. Their kids are overdosing on marijuana, but I can't ever find any more information on that. So I was hoping that you would have (laughs) some information (laughs) on it.
1: Um, I mean, I'm sure depending on like the age of the child that having say an edible or something could have like negative effects on their health. But um, I'm not aware of any specific instance or case that resulted in a fatality. I,
0: yeah, I couldn't find anything either. You'd you have no idea what I'm talking about. No, I, I, I think I had. Yeah, no, I
2: don't. I wasn't aware. Yeah,
0: it's somewhere. If you guys Google it, I swear it said that I, I read a publication that said something about kids like babies and toddlers are overdosing. And I'm like, well, how do you overdose on marijuana? But and,
1: and as I said, like bleach isn't illegalized, but that's dangerous for children. Right. So. Right.
0: I, yeah, so I guess I'm, um, you know, just prevention. I mean, I think it would be common sense, like, you know, don't let your kids drink the bleach. You know, don't let your kids touch the marijuana. But you know, hopefully that'll be in there. But on to the next. Um, state question eight twenty would permit resentencing, reversal, modification, and expungement for prior marijuana-related criminal records, removing barriers to housing, employment, and education. So I definitely wanna know how this will work out. Um, For people that maybe already have the felony on their record, what do they need to do? Do they have to go through a process and apply for this expungement or removing these barriers? Like what all do they need to do should state question 820
1: pass? Well, according to the language of the law, they will have to file a petition and um, that petition must be granted unless Um, granting the petition would pose an unreasonable risk of danger to an identifiable individual's safety. So the court could deny um, this expungement, but only if there is a real threat to a specific individual that releasing um, this person would cause. So otherwise, um, as long as the offense would be made legal um, by State Question 820, um, then you can apply to have your record expunged.
0: Okay. Okay. And so you mean like if someone was just like maybe they've committed murder or something or um and they also had this um marijuana charge, then possibly they might be denied. Maybe yeah, that's an especially, example. Especially
1: um but once again, it can't just be a generalized risk. It has to be to an identifiable individual safety. Specific. So like if that person is saying, like, when I get out, I'm going to murder this person, Mm -hmm. then in that case, yeah, they should be kept in Right, right. And more than
0: likely, they've got more time anyways from the other charge. So, 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 uh, any
2: questions on? You know, I had asked, uh, I, I do some work in the correctional facilities here in Oklahoma, and I had asked, friends who are currently incarcerated just for their opinion on some of this. And I think they felt like overwhelmingly 780 took care of most of that, you know, that most people are, you know, that, but it was interesting to those perspectives. I appreciate so much the policy perspectives of the this was the group of men incarcerated, but, um, you know, some of the things that they had talked about included, um, and, you know, um, that marijuana was even easier for him to get. Now this was 20 years ago, but then, then alcohol. And I, these were just things that caused questions in my mind, you know, like, is it because the very idea that you've regulated alcohol and that it has, it made it more difficult to get alcohol than marijuana. This again, 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were talking about how they they would be in favor of this, you know, uh, legalizing it. But but they also said, interestingly, that the effect, um, this was one, this is a subject of one, but that for him, the effect that marijuana had on him was actually a calming effect in a way that the alcohol that he would consume caused sometimes behavior that was antisocial, whereas the marijuana, and I just, and I say that, you all, just to say that I appreciate that I have their voices that I can lift up. I enjoy talking, uh, having these policy conversations with um, people who have very different lived experiences than what I have. You know, I was, um, it was so interesting. We It kind of turned into a conversation even about being, I said, I was one of those kiddos who was scared straight. Like everything in the 80s scared me straight. I was such a scared straight kind of a kiddo, I believe, you know, and so I was doing things. But we also kind of talked about how policies that inspire good behavior and, and allow you to be, you know, whatever, or allow you to be your best policies and laws and rules that allow you to just flourish and live your best life as opposed to maybe even scaring you into getting, you know, I mean, and again, even talking about, I, I don't know, again, this is a philosophical discussion that you kind of can getting off on a tangent, but <laughs> but I'm grateful that I have their voices that I can lift up because I feel like my own view, individual viewpoints are sort of this very cloistered, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you sheltered. Right. Yeah. The I, dare I'm grateful. Right. <laughs> yeah, was, but, but, and by the way, DARE is 100 percent one of those. Uh I, you know, when I was studying and doing the PhD work and talking about research, DARE was one of the programs that they always looked at that they said, we put so much money into DARE, which was a program that was ineffective. It did not work. Right. And so when they talk about, now I said it worked for me. Like, <laughs> like I, again, I was scared <laughs> straight, but I mean that's not maybe just the DARE program. I mean, I was in a family that was kind of a scared straight fan. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's hard to point to one variable. However, I, you know, we do, do television. I mean, movies I remember watching in school. They were scaring us straight in the 80s. Nancy Reagan was saying, just say no, and I was listening. I, like, you know I, mean? I was like, but, uh, but so, I'm, I, so I I I so appreciate having these conversations and these opportunities. I'm just so grateful to uh, to me this again, the way, and I always feel like with the League, I have to emphasize just good democracy because when you talk to many, many, many people, if I only talk to people who, were brought up like me and saw the world mm-hmm. from my viewpoint i'm right. only going to get one viewpoint That's on this right. issue and so i'm grateful yeah. again to ocjr and just the the friends in the carceral system who are able to kind of shed light on their experiences because my experiences are just so limited you yeah. know and, and mm-hmm. i don't understand unless i talk to people with a lot of different experiences
1: yeah you said a couple um, interesting things During that, um, the first one, you were talking a lot about uh, substitution with marijuana. And there's a lot of research that actually suggests that marijuana legalization actually decreases teen marijuana use. Because one of the things that you hit on is that once it's regulated, it's it's much more difficult to obtain it on the black market. And you can't go into a dispensary when you're underage and get it. So it actually lowers uh, statistically teen marijuana use. And also, it does act as a substitution um, somewhat for other more dangerous substances like alcohol and opioids. In Colorado, for instance, after they legalized marijuana, um, both opioid overdoses and opioid prescriptions went down in the state. So... um, yeah, it's just a good it's a substitution for other um substances that have worse
0: public health outcomes. hmm hmm mm-hmm. Probably even cigarettes. We know yeah, we've cigarettes. always got the debate about cigarettes. But yeah, I, when I think about the DARE program, um, for me, and I never really smoke weed, I might in one or two times. If it's just not for me. But um, I think about how you said that you know the the you know say no to drugs it was more along the lines my experience that it was say no to all of the drugs except for marijuana It, it cuz marijuana might be okay that was you might you know when I was like in 6th 7th 8th grade Oh even in the dare
2: program that that was, No they oh, didn't teach oh, that but oh. I'm
0: saying cognitively that's what we all heard in my culture you know, it's stay away from the hard drugs, stay away from the opiates, stay away from cocaine, stay away from PCP and so forth and so on. But it's okay. to to smoke marijuana. I'm not saying that the D.A.R.E. program said that specifically, but that's culturally what we understood it. it. Yes, yes. So that being said, um, the next bullet point says that adults should be able to use medical marijuana as a matter of individual freedom. The potential for abuse of marijuana is low compared to alcohol, opioids, and many other prescription drugs. And so I think we talked about that latter sentence already, but adults should be able to use medical marijuana as a matter of individual freedom. Freedom. um so for the decriminalization aspect of that do you agree with that and why or why not yes um I mean
1: the world and the free market is full of substances that we can decide to use or not use um, based on what we perceive are the risks and benefits so to um take a substance that as you just said is not scientifically addictive and is has, less uh, public health uh, risks than other substances, to decide that that one no one can use seems paternalistic in a way and also um, short-sighted scientifically. Um, It's really, um, in Oklahoma, we love a free market and there should be a free market of substances that people can decide whether they want to use them or not. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, how was it um, like as you were growing up, um, you know, from your background? Is it a matter of individual freedom? Marijuana, but for me, with marijuana,
2: you mean just like
0: I was, not just you specifically, but like how you said how you were raised, it
2: was like, yes, no, we should listen? Oh, it was, we were hard no. It was a hard, yeah, there were hard, I was raised in a hard no family <laughs> for everything. And you know what I mean? Like, there was, I was a pretty, <laughs> yeah. Hard no. (laughs) Okay, well, opponents
0: say that marijuana is still illegal at the federal level and in 29 states, creating a patchwork system of laws so Oklahoma should wait to legalize recreational marijuana until the federal government changes their law.
1: Um, While that's true, that it is federally illegal, um, we've seen at least since the Obama administration, a um, de-emphasis on marijuana um, convictions and arrests. But um, I guess the key for this is there's 21 states that have recreational marijuana and they're not waiting and they're collecting all this tax revenue Mm -hmm. and bettering their state. I just, um, it doesn't make sense to me that we should wait for a um, federal declaration that may or may never come. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just seems like not within the spirit of Oklahoma to rely on the federal government.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that as well. I think we, we pick and nitpick and cherry pick when to listen to the federal government and when not to. Because
2: even in our, you know, we've been fighting the last couple of years, the legislation that would suggest that if something like a Freedom to Vote Act were to pass mm-hmm. at the federal level, that Oklahomans would not have to adhere to the Freedom to Vote Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah or even with the covid mask, there was such a whole hullabaloo about you know even though the federal government is saying wear the mask wear the mask wear the mask we've got a lot of people in power that were saying no that is an infringement upon our first amendment right or you know whatever rights that we have we should not have to do it so yeah i think there's a whole discussion available just on that topic alone but um my question um from there would be as far as the decriminalization goes so what happens so what do you know what is considered um a federal charge as far as marijuana goes um well i believe it should be any amount technically
1: i don't um what they choose to prosecute though is really up to each individual prosecutor
0: Oh, that's very interesting. I was under the impression like it had to be like you know a hundred pounds a week or something like that.
2: You know, the, could I say because I think this is so interesting when you're talking about the prosecutors. I watched the the when uh, Kevin Calvey and Vicky Bohenna were debating this, and of course we knew that this was potentially at the time. I think we still were thinking met this this not medicinal but recreational marijuana might be on the November ballot. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting because they asked them the question about, they asked them this question and uh, about their stance on marijuana. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking it was interesting because they did, even when you talk about who would talk about their own marijuana use in the past. And Kevin Kelby did say, oh, yeah." this is what I thought was interesting. Even gender wise, I thought it was interesting that men a lot of, more often will have tried marijuana. And I've 100% thought as someone who is such a woman's, Rights, women's safety activist. Mm-hmm. You know, Vicky Bohenna said for the same reason. I think this might, as much as anything, suggest why I never really dabbled in. I, I never wanted to lose control of myself or my sensibilities as a woman, mm-hmm. as a single woman living in New York City in the early nineties. Or as a, for me, it was such a. You know, I I think a lot about a lot of these laws too. And when you start talking about internal locus of control, Mm -hmm. what I'm able to control and how much I want to be in control. And do I want to take any substance that would cause me to feel out of control? I want to see us more and more talking to our young girls and boys about that, about developing internal locus of control, as opposed to these laws that you know, are are creating this external locus of control, which I think and I've not seen the studies, but surely, surely, surely when we start talking about what whether we're regulating or when you've developed an internal locus of control, mm-hmm. the idea that our children are gonna go out into the world and make Safe decisions for them uh, is, is just all the greater. I want to see that kind of preventative, proactive policy on the table. Mm-hmm. I want our kids to develop that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that even goes back again to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs because to get there, you need self-actualization, which is at the top. And so how do you get, how do you get there? For it and that even goes back to the is it individual freedom? Each person. Each child will grow up into an adult and they need to make that decision for themselves. And they should absolutely be able to make that just like they can choose whatever religion that they're going to be or what, you know, whatever things would uh, work they're going to do, what college they're going to go to. I mean, whatever they are, they are, they need to figure out who they are for themselves. It's what
2: we say. It's our League of Women vote. Voters' mission empower, empower, empower the individual, empower the voter, empower and allow you to be, yeah, the best you yeah. can be, which is that self actualization yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah. That. that
0: being said, I am not trying to say vote. Yes, on 820. I'm just, we're just talking here. So don't, please don't. (laughs) We're 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 dreaming big
2: on what (laughs) kind of policies, the kind of policies that we would really love to see that we're, and and the kind, and the ways that we're, you know, yeah, helping. For me, I often see it as, you know, what we're allowing for our kids, what we're giving to our kids and to empower our kids.
0: yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess another one of the cons that a lot of people are saying, and it's on this list as well, legalizing recreational marijuana might encourage greater abuse of the substance. And um, that I I feel like that is a philosophical debate again with within itself. Um, there's that that book. I can't remember what the quote was, but it was um, Plato and the Platypus go to a bar and they were talking about, um, you know, well, somebody said that, um, you know, it, people that use marijuana go ahead to use, you know, PCP or crack cocaine or something like that. And so this other guy comes back and he's like, you know, the faux Socrates or whatever. And he says, well, that might be true. It might not be true. But what, what is even truer is that more people who use crack cocaine or harder drugs, they all drink milk as a toddler. <laughs> you know so what what are we to say what leads to the harder substance abuse but um yeah just your opinion on where that goes i
1: mean yeah obviously correlation does not equal causation so um but i will say that um a public health this is all supposedly this opponent Uh, position is based on public health, but just the fact of the matter is that incarcerating people is worse for public health than marijuana is. So throwing people in jail for marijuana is a net negative for public health because of all the things that happen once you exit incarceration. Um, You're more likely, you die at a younger age, you um, have difficulty getting a job, you could be homeless, all of these things that are terrible for public health. that are created by our fear of marijuana as a public health crisis. It's just interesting that incarcerating people for marijuana is worse for public
0: health than marijuana itself. I had to think about that, but yes, yeah, that, that, that's actually true. When you think about the intersectionality of it, like you were saying, you know, you take the the parents away from the home and then they're in school without a parent and you know, the more of a burden goes on the teachers and so to other parts of society. So that's definitely, I would definitely agree with that. Um, so, citing the need for more comprehens- comprehensive research, the American Medical Association opposes legalization of marijuana for recreational use. And I have not studied this, but I'm wanting to know if you know it, more information about that.
1: Um. I think, I mean, I don't know specifically, but I'd assume they just don't have enough data on legalization because like it just happened in Colorado and Washington, like just a couple of years ago. So I'm assuming they don't have a longitudinal study. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're just airing on the safe side. But I mean, we do a lot of medical treatments and things of that nature that aren't don't have a 20 year study that they approve. So I it just I find it. Um, interesting. I'm not saying that they're wrong, right, but right. there's just, without the evidence, I don't necessarily think you can use this as a reason to not legalize. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, even as far as the, the League of Women Voters goes in Oklahoma, we have not taken a position. Uh, one way or the other, we're neutral on it. So, and we did a whole study on it ourselves. We did a whole forum on it and, and everything. So it's kind of like the same thing. There's just we there there need the the conclusion was there. More research is needed. So, you know, that's kind of why I'm doing this here. I'm trying to figure out more research right now. So um, the last bullet point we're going to talk about. So legalization of medical marijuana encouraged criminal enterprises to come to the state to participate in black market marijuana operations, loosening the state's marijuana laws further would make those problems worse and i have seen people go back and forth about this on facebook i even remember one there's one small town in oklahoma where like the sheriff of this city posted something very derogatory on Facebook, and he pretty much called um, Hispanics, you know, aliens and this, that, and the other, and they're going to come with the cartels and they're going to harm Oklahoma. And it was was really ugly. It was really ugly. So, yeah, I I definitely would like your... (laughs) Yeah, this one's my favorite because
1: (laughs) it's just not factual, in my opinion. Um, And it's interesting what you said about being alien because um, one of the original reasons that marijuana was criminalized was in the 1930s they were calling it an alien scourge that was specifically um, in use in Latin American and black communities. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole racialized reason that it was criminalized to begin with when other substances that are mind altering um, were never criminalized. Um, But there's a lot of data about violence and marijuana use. And um, there's been no link found in any study. There's been um, one meta analysis that I think looked at 18 studies and not a single one found a, a link between um, crime and recreational marijuana use. And one study, as you were talking about earlier, one study actually found a, a decrease Um with marijuana legalization and violent crime, most likely because of what you were stating earlier, um, compared to other substances like alcohol that are more criminogenic. Um, a two thousand And that's just from the people perspective. There was a Washington State study in 2018 that showed that the police solve significantly more crimes um, after marijuana was legalized because they don't have to go. They can actually focus on serious crimes instead of dealing with marijuana constantly all day, every day, just stopping people from marijuana. You can actually go and do real police work Hmm. and solve more crimes. And then finally, I don't understand the argument necessarily because um, I don't see a world in which um, legalization and regulation makes a black market worse. That doesn't really make sense to me. Um, in 2006, there was a, a United States federal government report that said the value of marx- Mexican cartels was at $13.8 billion in 2006, and $8.5 billion of that revenue was coming from marijuana sales within the United States. So if we can eliminate that black market through um, the regulation and legalization of marijuana that causes a huge financial hit to the cartels. Now, whether this estimate is correct, I don't know. But um, even just a smaller proportion of marijuana sales in the U.S., a part of their overall overall revenue, if that. Is taken away. That is a financial problem for the mm-hmm. cartels and that re- reduces violence, mm-hmm. not only in the United States, mm-hmm. but elsewhere in the world mm-hmm. as well.
2: Would you be able to compare it, Michael, to like the how prohibition those the year of the 19 the t- 1920s were so the mafia and the because all of that illegal activity with the hooch, I guess. Yeah. The, the hooch illegal activity mm-hmm. with, and then once they once the uh, that was overturned, prohibition was overturned, and you could regulate again. And then things kind of went back to that homeostasis of, you know,
1: yeah, you don't really see organized crime around alcohol very often in the United States in these days. So, I mean,
2: but in the 20s, yeah, you did exactly. 20s. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so
1: yeah, I, I think that's a very apt comparison.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Makes total sense. Makes total sense. So, um, it's this, um, we are at the end of these. Um, are there any? Um, other thoughts or any any other two cents that you want to put in at the last second. <laughs>
1: um, just I think that it state question eight twenty is an opportunity for Oklahoma to um, really focus on what matters: public health wise, addiction treatment wise, um, and police resource wise. If we can focus on the true drivers of crime in our state, which is addiction and which is um, freeing up police to solve crimes and to work the streets more efficiently. Um, because we know that Oklahoma has a very high crime rate. Um, we do all this in our criminal justice system, but it, we're not really seeing a resultant drop in crime. So we got to reprioritize how we're attacking crime by trying to Attack it before it occurs at the level of addiction, at the level of the family, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So I think legalization of marijuana is a step towards that goal. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And I would just say, you know, if you uh, support the pros, go and vote yes on 820. And if you see too many cons, then go ahead and vote no on 820. But the polls open on Thursday. Early voting is on Thursday and Friday. There's no Saturday voting this time. And then other than that, you can vote on Tuesday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Go to the Oklahoma Voter Portal to figure out where you are supposed to be and vote at. And other than this election, still in the future, pay attention, pay attention and vote, vote, vote. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.